This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. And today's secret word is air fryer. Welcome, everybody. Uh, today's guest is Armin Tolentino. Armin Tolentino serves as Poet Laureate for Clark County, Washington, and is the author of the collection We Meant to Bring It Home Alive from Alternating Current Press. Such a fantastic book. I teach that book in my class. I love that book. Uh, he earned an MFA at Rutgers University, Newark, and his writing has appeared in journals including Rigorous, Gobshite Quarterly, Portland Magazine, and Pontoon Poetry. He works for a local government agency addressing poverty and education gaps. He's a phenomenal clapper, a passable ukulele player, and a bumbling but enthusiastic fisherman. And you can get more information about him at uh, www.armintolentino.com. Armin, thank you for being on the show today. Such a pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this one will be fun. So the first thing we have to do is tell people about these costumes we've chosen to wear, because uh, the people on YouTube can see them, of course. But for the folks on the podcast, what's with the getup? Uh, summer's not over, right, Ben? And uh, I refuse to let go of summer earlier than I need to. And uh, I want to be near the water. I want to be in the water. And therefore, I am wearing my 1800s era uh, dive suit uh, full with uh, with my my copper mask uh, and trying to chip off barnacles as we speak. Yes. And the tiny little porthole in the front, you know, yes. Uh, is, is it um, uh, is that like an actual functional one? Like, have you tried it out? Uh, I've gotten up to uh, my ankles. I feel fine. Yes. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get the bends quite yet in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you got to you got to experiment with it with different depths and uh, see how well you can hold your breath in case things don't work. Yes. Out. Yes. Uh, well, that that is a great. Co- I, I wanted to, you know, go with something that kind of matched. And so I got this mermaid costume, which I didn't think about the fact that as a as a podcast, we can only be seen from the waist up. And so I'm wearing the tail, which means I can't move my legs at all. And then I'm just shirtless with this conch shell necklace. So that's probably a little awkward for you, but uh, that's the- I think I see some scales though. Yes, I've got the, if I stand up here, people can see. Oh yes, there we go. So yes, uh, you know- Beautifully iridescent. Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, I was, it was at Norwestcon. There are these craftspeople who make these fantastic tails with the purple and the blue and the green. And I was like, yes, I've got to get, you know, because you got to have the right uh, myrrh outfit. but uh, I don't have the upper physique for it. So I apologize to viewers for that. So your core strength is getting better though trying to swim. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So um, what have you been up to as poet laureate? What does that in- uh, entailed? Yeah, uh, I serve as uh, Clark County, Washington's poet laureate. Uh, and uh, a poet laureate is an ambassador for uh, poetry uh, and the writing of and the reciting of poetry in our communities. Uh, and, and we're really fortunate in this part of Washington to to have a role like this. I'm, yeah. I'm the third in the line uh, of this uh, work in my community. Uh, I, I get to follow the immense and wonderful footsteps of Gwendolyn Morgan and Christopher Luna, uh, well-known and beloved poets in our, our community. Uh, but man, Ben, that, that's a hard thing where it's like, what are you supposed to do, right? They, they tell you right. like, hey, you got this now. How are you going to use your time and how do you honor it? And, uh, you know, one thing that was huge for me, uh, Paul Ann Peterson, who was uh, Oregon's uh, State Poet Laureate for, for many years, had just reached out to me um, just because she's a kind person. Yeah. She, I guess she heard the news that I was in this role. My jurisdiction was much smaller than hers. Yeah. Um, but she said like, hey, uh, if you need anything. And I was like, well, what do you think is valuable? Pauline, because I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I just got to the, the application phase and the yes. Now, what like what do I do with it now that they said, yes, do this? And so she was like, the, the thing that was most valuable to her was uh, going around the state and doing writing workshops with people. Mm. And that really, that, that hit me too. Because for me, the, the thing about writing that is most enjoyable is the writing. 
I mean, yes, it's cool to all the, there's these ancillary things that are part of writing, these adjacent things like going to poetry readings uh, or, uh, or getting published. Awesome things. Those are great. But nothing replaces the actual writing. And uh, I started doing these different writing workshops for different communities, mostly um, to show that regardless of what you do with the writing after, there's like two lives to the writing, right? Like we think about the second lives, like, like all those beautiful books on your shelves, right? That's the second life. Like that's a life where you created the writing and now it's out in the world. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Right, exactly. Right? But that first life where you made it in the moment, all writers know that feeling of like, wow, I did something right now. That felt good. Yeah. And I just want people to have that moment, regardless of what that writing becomes, if anything, it's okay if it never even, if you never work on it again, if it lives in a notebook, the fact that you wrote for that hour, I think that's special. I think that's worth it for you. You deserve it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, that, that's a tension in, uh, you know, when I teach creative writing. Yeah. I, I want to honor that the writing itself is good for you. Like yeah. this is, you know, for some people it's mental health for, you know, it, it is good for the soul. Like, so that is valuable. And then, you know, an important part of the process is the publishing. And I mean that in the broadest sense, the sense right. of being willing to hand it to someone and say, I did this thing for you. And I think it benefits the writing itself when you're thinking, I'm going to put this in someone else's hands and I owe them, you know, th this should be beneficial to them or I'm not going to write with them in mind and therefore I'm not going to put it in their hands. Like I'm not going to burden somebody with something that I didn't, you know, I didn't care enough about them to, 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 to write for them, you know, yes. but, but, you know, owning that just the writing is of value. Right. Uh, and, and so kind of that's, you know, with my little, my, my little nestling students where I'm like, <laughs> you start off and they're they're really hesitant to share and it's like oh, that's, yeah. that's okay to start with just writing for you and we're going to right. work our way to writing for others in the writing yes. process so that yes. then you're ready to hand that thing off uh, but that it's a communication totally. right that art uh i don't know if any of us can really define what art is but i think there's an understanding of art as an experience where there is more than one sentient presence engaging with this thing. So there is, might be one maker, perhaps, that even can be debated if you do anything on your own. But right. the idea that there is also someone who's going to consume this, and that's what takes writing uh, to a different step than, than journaling, even if the act might be uh, both completely private, and you may never actually share it, when you write for art, I think you're trying to make something that some other sentient being someday could experience and say, I felt something thousands of years and millions of miles away from you. And yet I felt something. That's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, so this is, you know, uh, TM, TM, TM. Nobody can steal this idea. But the, my my one of the ways that I'm invigorating my teaching this next year is I plan to write a creative writing textbook. And I've been really reluctant to do that because, I, you know, you know, I, I, I want to be the artist who is creating the art that my readers benefit from rather than feeling like I am writing for other writers. Like mm. I was always, you know, I was always resistant to that. Yeah. And and now I've gone, okay, but I've been doing this now for 20 years and I've got so many of these lectures and I should put this together and, and share this, you know, in some, some new way. And yes. the, the way that I'm going to design the thing, and this is the part that I, you know, anybody listening to the show, do not steal this and write this in under a year. <laughs> this is mine. But I'm going to write it. The whole premise is this is not a book about writing. This is secretly a book about magic. And it's all going to be a book of like, this is how you do, you know, and so to use the, yes. metaphor, this is a magic spell that we are weaving and what, you yes. know, you know, creating characters is a glamour and like everything is, you know, uh, you know, this, how you, what are the constituent parts of plot that are this magical elixir? So like all of it is right. about magic because you're absolutely right. We are taking runes, we're yes. taking symbols and we're, you know, using a, 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 a magical formulation to put them into someone else's brain. And the only reason we're not astounded by that is because of its ubiquity. Like, yes. oh, everybody else can do it. Yeah, everybody else can do something that's amazing. Yes. And, you know, we should we should honor that. Like, this is a really amazing thing we get to be engaged in. Yes. So, yeah. And it continues to be amazing. It's, right. it's just so phenomenal about that, right? And then don't take that for granted. Yeah. You know, right. and uh, you know, sometimes it gets mechanical. 
Like yeah. some people just go through the steps of something, but it's like it loses the magic that you're saying. And don't forget that there is something magical that that communication is possible in this manner, that yeah. interchange it, and that we can affect each other so deeply uh, without ever actually seeing the other person is incredible. Right. It's a and we're not we are insufficiently astounded by that. <laughs> you know, like, if, and I hope that that brings the energy into the classroom and, and is translated in the book itself. Like this, this thing you are doing is amazing, yes. <laughs> you know? Oh. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, that we lose something as writers when we lose sight of that too. Like, right. oh, you know, oh yeah, I've got to do this work. I've got to get to meet this deadline. I got to get this thing done. No, I'm, I'm going to do magic tonight. <laughs> yes. yes and when like with your students what do you like what what frees them to do that that step that you're talking about because that's very real right of like i don't want to share this and you shouldn't have to share something prematurely yep. it should be on your own terms but i think a lot of people want to share that's what i'm finding in writing workshops that i do they want that opportunity to, to offer something but they are thinking too deeply i think in the beginning of what the other people at that table are thinking about them yes and i think a lot of it is is it acceptable in this culture of this space for us to share? Because there's mm. somebody who's going, I really don't want to share. And there's somebody who's saying, I really want to share. And they're looking at one another and they're saying, is this okay? Right. Yes. And so once the one person can kind of feel free to share, it, it opens that up for others. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've had classes where the whole, we got to the end of the semester and they still weren't comfortable sharing, you know, they, they would share in other ways. We would sure. share documents or whatever, but they wouldn't read aloud, that kind of thing. And then I've had classes where, you know, from day one, somebody was like, I want to share what I just wrote on the yes. free write on day one. And it opens it up for the whole group. That's and so cool. it's, you know, it's, it's, some of it is just how do, how do we decide that we feel comfortable? And, and, you know, and, and then I bring that kind of explicitly into the room. Like this is a classroom culture we are building and yes. it's, it's okay to read one another and figure out how we collectively feel. Yes. And that's, you know, that, that's, you know, so yeah, different groups, different space every time. Which keeps definitely. it fresh for me too. Like, right. You're not bored in how many nope. years you've been doing this. Work. Yeah, no two classes are the same ever. And so bringing that into the space is, is help. And, and that's helpful for the students to, you know, yeah. to not go, oh, this is going to be just like every other one he's taught. Like, no, it won't. Because <laughs> I've never taught you before and you right. are important, you know? Like, yeah, most definitely. So, um, so you know <laughs> we jumped into process it's a show about procrastination what we're doing when we're not writing so what has been pulling you away what uh you know entertainment what's been pulling you out of your 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 writing habits lately man i could get pulled easily and there are some things that are like the 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 work and and life things and i won't bore you all with that but like uh yeah there it's there i think it's fine to sometimes just be like hey there's some things i want to absorb and and experience and it, and it will inform the writing later right i think ben you and i have talked maybe i shared this with you i'm a big boxing fan you know i grew yes. up watching boxing um and i didn't necessarily love it watching it with my dad um because I didn't understand the sport well enough, but also like the thing that you you do when you're a kid, sometimes like they just stick with you and you don't realize that you're still a fan of this stuff. And so, um, you know, like, you, and, and you can't help but see metaphors in boxing and in um, a lot of other aspects of life uh, for better or worse. It's used as a metaphor in so many things. But even I think about it just in, in the world of writing, like, when you think about the sport of boxing, right, you're only using your hands for the for the actual striking, right? Different from MMA. And so if you're only using your fist and you're only allowed to use your fist in certain ways, you're only allowed to use it like the knuckles. You can't do what's called the hammer fist, for example, yeah, in boxing. Back. Or bat, right? And you can't do a back fist. So if you can only use this portion of your hand, there's basically six punches. That's right. it. That's it. There's, there's three on each side of your body, your lead hand and your, your rear hand. And from those six punches, you can have so many combinations of ways to shock and surprise someone. And that just yeah. recently happened. Um, there were two sort of high profile boxing matches and high profile in boxing nowadays is not 
Muhammad Ali versus, uh, you know, a foreman. It doesn't get to that level, you know, nowadays. It doesn't get to, you know, the the, the stars of boxing aren't as well known now as they were before. Um, but uh, the at the 147-pound weight, which is a very, like, classic weight in boxing, one of the original weight classes, um, the, these two big champions, Errol Spence uh, was fighting this guy, other guy, Terrence Crawford. They've been bickering for, like, five years about, oh, I'm better than you. They could never make the actual fight work. They finally fought and no one was sure what it was going to be like, right? Because it's like, this guy could win or this guy could win. And it was a wipeout. It was oh, really? a complete domination by Terrence Crawford. And then was it really, like, was it short or did it? lasted nine rounds, like, nine out of 12 rounds, but every round. So, and that's a good point that boxing is scored per round. Yeah. Every round is three minutes and you, you win a round basically. Right. And I mean, like I, I remember, you know, round. I remember when we were young, there was a, a Tyson fight that was like 13 seconds long. 13 seconds, yeah. You know, Spinks and, and, against Spinks, yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, everybody was like, I paid for per pay per view for this, you know, but yeah. with those heavyweights, it can be really, really short. Whereas I really liked like some of the Bantam weights, yes. you know, where it's like, no, these guys are going to just exhaust one another and it's skill. And, yes. You know, like, the amount of energy, I think a lot of people don't understand the, that it's an endurance sport. Like Definitely. you have to be in incredible shape to ju just like if somebody was just there was no there was no opponent. They're not right. even, you know, just jumping and yes. for that long is physically so exhausting. I challenge anyone to just oh. hit a heavy bag or even harder. I think a lot of times it's shadow boxing. Yeah. Shadow box for for three minutes where you're also like thinking about punches coming to you, even if they're not moving your hands and your feet and your head in some sort of coordinated fashion and an intentional fashion, yep. <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> yeah. There is a poem about three minutes of shadow boxing for a person who has not boxed. Yeah. What is that? You know, like that, yes. how much of that is a metaphor for, you know, oh, I think I'm going to be able to do this. Oh my gosh, this yes. is exhausting. <laughs> what you don't realize is that there's an ars poetica to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking, what is it to make this thing happen? And you know, what was really amazing to me as I was watching this fight and I was cheering for, for Crawford, the guy who ended up winning. Um, there's something about how calm he is in the ring. And for me, as a guy who I feel fear all the time, now I'm older and I'm lucky that I'm in very secure spaces where um, I don't have constant uh, uh, external pressures that make me feel that type of physical fear. But growing up, I always had some level of that, of just thinking, what is it to be a man? What is it to, to be tough? And um, just to see a certain level of calmness in a moment like that. This is not just the physical pain that could be coming, but the pressure and people watching you and saying, I want to do my best. This is my chance. And to just see how relaxed he was. Yeah. It's like, how do you get into that flow state where your, your eyes are so wide open to the moment and you're doing things on purpose. I'm doing all these steps on purpose. That's amazing to me. I was listening to two different podcasts where they were talking about that within the last day. So there was yeah. an interview about with a guy who got to interview Messi, who's now playing oh, soccer in Miami. Miami, killing it there. He is the most calm, like not stressed, just enjoying what he gets to do. Where, you know, I would be an absolute wreck. Like the pressure is, you know. And then uh, I was listening to a comedy podcast and the guys were talking about watching the uh, Michael Jordan documentary. Mm. And somebody on that talks about he is one of the most in the moment. Now, he did have some yeah. stress issues too. Oh, yeah. Like, it, when he is playing, he's yes. not the fastest. He's not the, you know, I mean, he was an incredible leaper, but he was so locked into that moment, yes. of, you know, and yeah, that kind of flow state is, ad, you know, getting to watch it even from the outside. That is one yes. of the nice things about sports as opposed to what we do, where you and I get into flow state <laughs> and it would be very boring to watch. Extremely boring. <laughs> yeah. You could not imagine how boring it is to watch me just scribble on this piece of paper like, oh, yes. that's a cool couplet. <laughs> you know, like for me, it's hammering away on my keyboard for like 
eight hours and you know and yeah. i'm like this was so great time went by and you know that would have been miserable to watch but, then, <laughs> but, but i mean you know, they pay people to, you know uh to play video games and people just watch people playing video games I, we don't have that for writing yet i don't know although i've joked about setting up a camera on my keyboard and doing asmr videos like for people <laughs> who just want to hear typing <laughs> you know that's uh, yeah it's everything's content right so but yes yeah, so uh so did you box when you were a kid I didn't. I did martial arts for a very long time and was uh, resistant to it. I think I was just do. I mean, I I was doing it because my dad wanted me to do it, and he loved martial arts. And uh, we grew up watching a lot of kung fu movies. And uh, you know, I, I was a lazy kid in a lot of ways. So I think he's like, hey, let's give him some discipline and do some stuff. And I learned a lot doing it. Um, but it's not. Uh, not. I wouldn't pretend it was a passion yeah. of mine at the time. And uh, growing up then as an adult, I started going to a boxing gym because I enjoyed watching the sport of it. And so, uh, you know, I'll go to a boxing gym like like I've had a membership maybe for five, six years. I've been there maybe 12 times in that amount of time, but I'll show up. I'll, I'll just make a fool of myself. Uh, I love that. I don't have to look good anymore. Like I want to yes. do well, but there's no pressure. No one's expecting anything of me there and i'm not gonna get physically hurt you know these are drills and you know really controlled sort of space i'm not even sparring um but i i love just thinking about what mechanically my body can do because it can't do what it could when i was a teenager i'm not flexible i'm not fast anymore i can't do those things and yet it's like hey it could still it could still follow uh, my intent in different ways i can ask it to do something and it still seems to show up at a really slower level <laughs> well yeah but also like we're at an age where we can go i can be a fan of this thing and that's okay like i don't have to go oh yeah and i also need to participate in everything that i am a fan of in order to right. prove to anyone my bona fides in any way like yes. I, I am a basketball fan at this point. I don't play at like, I, you know, and I love NBA basketball and I'm yes. comfortable enough now that I have nothing to prove to anyone. It's not like, yes. oh, I'm not a real fan unless I'm, you know, hitting yeah. the gym with the guys and, and you know, playing yeah. ball at, you know, they play it like five in the morning <laughs> no i i will be listening yes. to my nba podcast when you're all right. asleep at 11 o'clock at night but i am not getting up at five in the morning for anything like yes. don't don't get don't gatekeep that fandom right enjoy right. things on whatever level you exactly. want to enjoy it yes you know and i don't have to yuck your yum right, right. <laughs> like, right. well i, I do you. need to get some physical exercise like i've been looking at like i think tai chi would be i'm, I'm at that age now yeah. we're on Tai Chi I would be that. really cool for flexibility and calm. Because <laughs> like, yes. you know, I'm like, I've got I've got anxiety that is disproportionate to the danger that I face in my life. Like, <laughs> why am I worried all the time? And so I think some Tai Chi would be really good for me. Like, Just push know. push that email to the yes, side. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Love that. Um, we, okay, we gotta plan that out, man. Yes. Next year, you and I will do some uh, Tai Chi contest together. Yes, that would be good. Um, in fact, we could do it and then like do it at like a Willamette Writers or something. People would dig that. Like, hey, we're gonna lead you in a Tai Chi video that we've beautiful ten times, and yeah, call Kate up. It's, it's done. <laughs> so, speaking of anxiety, what have you been watching in the news that's been getting your attention this last week? Too much, uh, you know, and I. I my wife listens to the news a lot and I've gotten better about like, I don't need to know everything that's going on. Not that it's not important to be informed, but that uh, to what end, but you know, what am I accomplishing for myself or others in, in this, in this constant barrage of information? I mean, I think the natural disasters that we're seeing right now are really pressing on my mind. Uh, you know, I was just in uh, Palm Springs in March. It was my first time seeing Joshua tree national forest. Um, it's and beautiful and gorgeous. now is getting rained on in a way what it, must it look like yeah wow. you know and it was on fire though not too long ago too like there were parts yeah. of Mojave that were on fire and then you're like oh well rain that might be good it not in these levels no you know it has no. to be you know yeah it can't be so, such extremes and so um when you have this rain come in and washing away desert I mean how can these trees, I don't know what what's going to keep them around. I mean, they're, yeah. they're they're already suffering before these uh these events became so cataclysmic and so frequently cataclysmic. So, yeah. um, you know, I was fortunate to be able to see this this landscape that looks so alien to me, 
And I don't know who's going to get to see that next. I'm thinking about yes. that. I'm thinking about Maui and just the yep. fires there. And then um, what, what what's happening in Canada? Like that, the Yellowknife? Like I've never even heard of that city, Yellowknife. Yeah. And it's like, There's wow. There's a quantity of, of towns that have been, you know, evacuated. It's terrifying. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, and but I do think about the, the you know, what do we get to see? Like, on the one hand, it feels very selfish. Like I get to see this thing and nobody else is going to get to see it. But on the other hand, I think, it it recalibrates us to care like right. you know i i you know i one of my goals is to uh, at some point see the snows on uh, kilimanjaro right because there will not be snows on kilimanjaro yes. anymore in fact it yes. might be too late already uh, but i understand kilimanjaro is a very uh, hikeable kind of mountain yes <laughs> you know mountain I, and i would love to go like that and part of that is that sense of this is gonna go away like Absolutely. this is not you know eternal in the way people yeah. thought this mountain has always been there um and so yeah you got to see joshua tree and it will not be the same for our grandkids like have you have you seen like um any glaciers up close yes, yes. yeah like up in uh, uh canada i went to banff when i was young yeah. you know i got to see you know and the, they're retreating and that's yeah, I'll, you know, already the, the, there are things that I have seen that are not, there were glaciers in California that are yes. gone now. Non-existent. So, yeah, yeah so that's uh, scary stuff. It is. And and that, so then that feeds my anxiety. But part of what feeds my anxiety is like looking around going, I don't feel like the people around me are taking this seriously enough. And then I think, but because I've been lucky enough to get to go to a lot of these places. Mm. And it feels very foreign, I think, to some yes. folks who are like, oh, I've never, you know, my folks were really big on travel. Yes. I, I adopted that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I love to that. I would rather buy a trip than buy a thing. Yes. Know? So I, I, I travel a lot and I've got yeah. to see a lot. Uh, and, and that's. I think it does connect us with the world in a broader way. Um, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, it is scary to see what it, these 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 places that are in such severe threat. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so it's like, uh, I, I also think about like with, with the conversation around AI and, and when you look at things, you look at images that look so real and it's like, what is real or not? And if you haven't physically been to a place, you you could be already thinking like everything everything can be duplicated digitally right so it's like oh that i guess that thing looks cool because you're sort of desensitized to what things look like you could be desensitized to what fire really looks like or violence looks like because it's been so rec rec recreated in such a convincing way yeah. versus physically being present some to something uh experiencing with all of your senses perhaps and so um yeah i don't know like if, if i, I we, think that <laughs> totally changes our view of violence like i know a yes. lot of folks who their, you know, their their understanding of violence is just through media. And yeah, that, they think like, oh, a fight is this thing that goes on for five minutes where these people are kicking one another in this ballet kind of way. And it's like, if you've ever been <laughs> to you, you know, a real fight, yeah, yeah. it's terrifying. It's fast. It's, you know, yep. it's, it's not elegant. Yep. Fast, um, 20 yeah. seconds done. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, yep. and, and, and it's, and it's, you, takes it's not cool like you know nobody comes out of a fight looking yeah cool unless it's like a boxing match where there are rules and there's a ref and there's you know because and i think a lot of people think like yeah. oh if i ever got in a fist fight it would look like a, a boxing match no somebody would no, jump it's sloppy and ugly fall down and it's exactly. yeah it's it's, it's not don't look graceful but you're even right. the ones who know what they're doing don't you, look graceful we, yeah but we've given ourselves you're right we've given ourselves this false sense of what this thing would actually feel like i think that's right. the breakdown is we don't know how it would feel yes we've only experienced it with that remove you know yeah absolutely yeah so when you're not writing and you're not being terrified by the fact that the world is burning up and you know flooding simultaneously <laughs> what's a hobby that is keeping you grounded uh, I mean, I, I I play the ukulele a lot, uh, and definitely during the uh, the pandemic, I started playing a lot more um, because I started working from home, and it's like, oh, well, I just have these ukuleles sitting around, and you know, you take a break and um, you strum a bit, and the pressure I put on myself as a kid to like learn the guitar and want to be really good at guitar i don't have that at the same level with the ukulele yeah. first it's just a simpler instrument you know with you know that many less strings and therefore it's like i don't have to work as hard figuring things out 
But it's like, I'm just playing for me. I'm not trying to like start a band or anything like that. I'm not trying to like impress any women. I'm like, I'm just playing for me. So right, you know, right. it's, it's, it's become fun. And like, I'll waste a lot of time now going on Craigslist, looking at who's selling their pandemic ukuleles. Like they, <laughs> yes. they picked this up in 2020 and they're like, oh, I don't actually play this thing. And it's like, oh, are there deals there? It's like, I don't need any more. I just sort of like looking at what people have. Yeah, you know, the, the, the variety. Yes, of I things. hadn't thought of that. There's probably a glut of <laughs> inexpensive <laughs> ukuleles now that yes. are going yes. around. So don't, don't waste your time going to Guitar Center, which I don't, I do not like Guitar Center in general, but don't waste your time going there. Yeah. Go on Craigslist. Yeah. We don't need new ones. Use the ones that are already out there. <laughs> yes, the one that is sitting right now collecting dust in someone's closet. You could be playing. That's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but have you found that with that kind of low pressure, you know, I'm just doing this for fun. You've gotten to a place where you're like, and I'm getting pretty decent at this and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you stick with, I mean, and we know this, you're an educator, you know this. If you stick with something long enough, you're going to get better at it, right? Right. We, we know these ideas of growth mindset and that that our brain has plasticity, that we aren't born with like a limited, uh, uh, like a cap on our abilities. But we also know that some people have a proclivity, a natural ability, right. what have you. So that, that you may not be able to control, but your ability at getting better at any number of things, uh, that's very true. Yeah. Um, and so if, if you can take off the pressure of trying to be good at something, because when you have that pressure, then you stop doing the thing. Well, and that's what I was wondering, like a lot of the, you know, the, the research is showing that that sense of safety and not having this huge external pressure is yeah. actually really good for learning. Yeah. Like the fact that you were going, I don't need to impress any girls with this ukulele nope. I'm playing for me might actually be a much better way to learn. Right. Like, Absolutely. You know, what, what I, I think there are these different schools of education around art where it's like, just go for, for quantity. Don't go for quality. Make a lot of stuff and you're going to be graded on making a lot of stuff, not good stuff necessarily. Right. And the good stuff comes out, though, if you make a lot of stuff because of the repetition and the practice of it. So, inevitably, you know, I started playing in what my, I, it was 2007. My, my buddy had gone to Hawaii. For a wedding came back with the ukulele and it's like oh okay let me try this thing out and then i was traveling across the country and so i was like okay this is much easier to pack than a guitar so right. let me just have this around and it's like you, you learn you learn a couple chords and it's like okay i can play this song because i know this chord and you stick with it long enough and it's such a portable instrument yeah. that you end up just figuring out okay i think i could do this now and then you start challenging yourself more uh and, and uh the songs that i wanted to play in 2007 where it's like i don't know how to do that chord or i can't get that rhythm down it's like oh no i think i could give them a shot now because my skill set is definitely better now than it was then yeah, yeah. Oh, that's actually great. i'm still you know i'm not i'm not selling out the moda center but no matter what i could still play the thing you know i can well, I, I think can, that's uh, one of the nice things about the ukulele. yeah i mean i think that's one yeah. of the things about the ukulele too is you don't go in with the ambition of and i want to sell out the moda center and so right. i'm going to pick up the ukulele like that's not you know those don't connect and i, I think that there's there's a uh, a metaphor there for poetry like nobody right. picks up poetry and goes because i want to get wealthy right <laughs> absolutely know, and so it allows us to, you know, enter into this art form with different set of incentives and motives. Right. Like I'm going to create great art, not because yeah. I'm going to be rich. Yeah. You know? And that's and I, cultural. You know, yeah, I, know I have no cultural. judgment at all of like people who um, like have this idea in their head of like, oh, I have this screenplay idea or this novel that's going to make it big. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But that's not how most poets, I don't think, approach no. poetry. Well, and it's, and I, my understanding is that this is very much culturally dependent. Like, you know, if we lived in Egypt, if we lived in Iran, if we lived in India, you can sell out a stadium as a poet. Yes. Like it's, you know, but that's not, and, and, and so that might, I, I will never know, but I wonder if that would affect my poetry. If I were thinking, yeah. oh, I am, you know, potentially going to pay the bills with this. Yeah. Never enters into my mind as I am sitting yeah. there working on a yes. poem. I never think <laughs> this one this one's going to pay the rent. <laughs> like, you know? Or if you were writing at the behest of the king or something like that, right. and you have to write poems to honor the king every month yeah. and, and his accomplishments or the queen's accomplishments, your writing might look different. That would be more of a, maybe a, a job that maybe you still like, but it would feel more like a job versus a, this is a, a way of being. This is, yeah. this is and a it, practice. Yeah. And I don't want to judge like, and say, oh, that's, you know, there's anything wrong with that. Like people oh. need to pay the rent, but like, and so I, I don't think it makes our work more pure. I mean, right. there is, you know, the, 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 there's there's no inherent 
uh, you know, benefit to not paying the bills, just as there wouldn't be to paying the bills. Like they, yeah. they affect the work. I mean, Shakespeare was trying to sell tickets right. and he still wrote really great plays. It didn't yeah. make the plays bad. <laughs> you no, know, no, so I'm not no, like one absolutely. of these people who's like, oh, that that makes it terrible that he was yeah. doing for money. Like, no, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're great plays, uh, but right. it does change the way that the, the work comes out, you yeah. know. At the very least, for yourself as a creator of something, anytime you're doing something, or let me take this away from the, the second person and use I statements. When I'm doing something, I have to constantly ask myself, am I doing this for me or am I not doing this for me? And it's not that it's wrong that I do things that are not for me. There are things that I do for my colleagues or right. my friends, and they wouldn't be what I would choose to do. When I'm writing poems, a lot of times I'm doing it because it's what I'm choosing to do. And it's not because there is any obvious gain other than writing the poem. And I think there's something um, very elemental about that. And I think there's something of like, hey, if you don't have that in your practice, and you, if, if you're not walking through this world with things that you just do strictly for yourself, uh, it would be a good question of why. You right. know, why don't you deserve that? Well, and, uh, you know, not to get too much of a process question here, but like, so when your book came out, when you put it together, were you thinking I am putting together a book of poetry or was it I've now written all these, I can just put them together? Like yeah. for me, it was not. I, I, for, you know, especially my second book, the poems yeah. were already there. It was just, yeah. you know, okay, now, now it's this other art project of compiling, but yeah. in the process, I never thought I am writing a book of poetry. Like, yeah, right. I, I was definitely thinking of like, how could this structurally look like a book? I definitely yeah. wanted that. And I, I definitely wanted some sort of, um, uh, sinew and continuity to it, even if it wasn't automatically like they weren't all the poems weren't all related. They, there had to be something thematically that I felt was holding them together. And especially for like the third section, which has these poems about apocalypse and extinction, like there, I was really having fun with those because it was after grad school time. So I didn't have um, uh, the, the uh, validation you could get from like, oh, established poet, you know, right. it says this is good. I don't know yeah. if it's good. I'm just liking writing them and I'm finding it interesting exploring what the storyline and the metaphors are within it. So that I was definitely seeing those as connective, um, uh, coherent pieces that would be a book. But lately, you know, I've been just trying because I don't have the rhythm that um, I've had in the past and I'm, I'm forgiving of myself that I'm not in a mm -hmm. super great rhythm. But it's like, then just like, well, what what poem could you create now? What would it be like to, to play with form and and, and uh, start with like, I'm trying to think back to when I was in high school and, uh, and writing as a high schooler, like what was it that got me into writing? And it's sometimes it's just like one word sounded cool. Yeah. Like when you're a kid, slang is really cool right adults still like slang they don't realize they like it right but you know you think like that sounded cool or those lyrics sound cool it's not about the meaning necessarily there's something about the the sound uh of those words in concert with each other and yep. it's like could i create something like that and so going back to that play i think is what what i'm trying to enjoy right now um because i don't know if any specific collection is taking the shape i wanted it to and i can't i can't force myself like to bang my head against the wall to make it happen i don't think it's it's making what i want to make yeah no and i think that's healthy like you know my for me poetry is often you know the the, the novel is this massive project that takes years yeah and then the poem is something that right now demands it like yes you know this is and 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 because it doesn't feel like it's bound to this this poem does not need to end up in a book right. this poem you know i can i can literally share it today on instagram kind of a thing yeah then it takes that pressure away but it also changes what my poetry is about like mm -hmm. my poetry tends to be you know i'm sitting out on my back porch and a bird lands and it makes yes. me think of something and i'm writing about a bird on my back porch and that's all you know and it yes Whereas I would never say I'm going to spend the next two years working on this this magnum opus about this bird that we've been on my back porch. Like this can be this kind of immediate thing, and and yeah. it's it's good for me to step back and look at when I am thinking about a big project. These are the things I think are important, but maybe I need to listen more to what are the things that are springing up because yes. maybe those are more important. So right. you know, I think that 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 is a healthy. It's, it's healthy to have that balance. Right. Know? How do we make sure we don't miss the moment because we're so focused on this other thing that's out there? And that thing, it's not that that thing doesn't matter 
or the investment of time, but that's not the only thing out there. Right? Right. Yes, you can I miss don't a lot that to all of me. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so um, to help readers get to know uh, the, the folks that I'm interviewing, I always ask about if you were a character in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, what would be your race and class? Mm. Or a D&D character? Good. Uh, I feel like maybe I'm already... Uh more of a, a fantastical or shadow realm than of this human world already. Uh, now, <laughs> full disclosure, I've, I've watched D&D games. I feel like I've hung out with D&D people, but uh, my actual knowledge of the zoology uh, and the hierarchies of D&D, I think, are very limited. Uh, but, you know, looking looking through uh, sort of uh, the, the nature field guide of these universes, I was like, is, is a Kenku, like that, that crow? With a cloak, oh, yeah. is that a uh, a species? Uh, yeah, yeah, that that'd a be a absolutely. That would count as a race. Totally. I was looking at it first. It looks badass. I was like, that would be right. a cool thing. But it, I saw that one of its skills is mimicry, and it's like, you know what? One thing that I do well is I can fit in a lot of spaces, and I don't know if that's because I'm the the child of of immigrants, and there's something about when you're the the first generation that you don't really belong anywhere. Right. Like you're not quite sure. I'm not I'm not Filipino enough um, and not that people are telling me that, but I, I'm not fluent in the language. I didn't grow up with the culture the same way. Like if you literally grew up in the Philippines and also no one's no one thinks I'm white. I'm not American. That's that's not going to happen either. Right. So um, I'm always sort of torn between these worlds. And so I think I've, I've learned very well of like, oh, this is how you're supposed to act in this space. And I don't know if that's a good thing all the time, because then sometimes you could lose yourself or or you can fall into um, habits that aren't great. Uh, toxic masculinity is a, a clear right. example of how you're like, oh, I think I'm just sort of following what other people are doing. And the, the, no, no, you got to think for yourself. Right. Um, but I think there's something about that mimicry where it's like, oh, OK. At, at its best, I think I'm really adaptable in various situations. And I'd love to be as smart as a crow someday if I just keep yeah. working at it. You know what I mean? They're smart animals. Well, I think that that code switching is a gift. Like I, I, mm. I, I tell students like, you know, English teachers historically have been these pres prescriptivists where our yeah. job was to tell people the proper way to, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I, I say to them, like, I'm not going to tell you this is the way to talk because you should be speaking differently when you're talking to your friends behind the bleachers at a football game than you're speaking to your grandmother. Like Definitely. all the kids in the room, regardless of your cultural background, you know that you code switch. Yes. Uh, you, you do this anyway. You know, you switch in terms of your register. This is, and so the ability to code switch culturally is just another gift you have. Wow. But you're right. The, the challenge is to not lose a sense of self in that. Yes. Like, and that, and that is not easy. Like, you know, how, you know, I, I grew up, my, my folks as a kind of wonderful gift to me, uh, put me in magnet schools where I was always, you know, and, and the magnet schools in both San Diego and Cincinnati, the design very intentionally is let's get kids from the burbs into the inner city schools and vice versa. And so yeah. I was always, you know, my high school, there were like four white guys over the course of my entire uh, yeah. school education. And, right. and yet, and, and, and so I felt like, okay, I, understand some things although i did not understand as much as i thought i understood at the time which is part of being 16 too you know you think you know everything uh, but like i got to get in a bus and go home to the burbs and have all that privilege and safety and i didn't recognize that in my you know in my formative years i thought yes. oh i totally understand black culture no i didn't i understood no. what it was like to be a you know tourist within black culture for uh you know six hours a day or right. whatever and the version you get to see in a school right and exactly what, what people really allow different. of themselves in a given space when they know what threats and other things can exist uh, well you know, I, even as you're saying this idea though of like code switching and, and the strength of that I, I even just think of that as like for writing you're doing that all the time right you're trying to get into this other head in this world in this vernacular yes. um and it's an act of empathy in a lot of ways you're trying to understand best what is this other way of being um, and a fully sentient being and culture outside of your own, right? Yeah, and I think there's like levels to it. There's how would this character say it? And and that kind of gets you to that, that kind of dialogue lexical level. Yeah. And then 
and and that's really vital like you do want to actually you know relay to the reader this character does sound different than i do yeah. but then getting deeper to how would this character think about this differently than i do and right. that's really really hard like that's a that's an exercise in empathy that's really challenging you know yes, if definitely. i were writing a character who was a first generation filipino you know child of immigrants growing up in jersey yeah can I put myself in his brain and say, this is how this would feel to him? I'm not sure yeah. I could, right? But I, you know, I could say, I know how Armin would say this because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That 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 struggle to empathize is, and to, to, you know, to understand that people do not see the way the world the way we do uh, because of our experience is a real gift. And then to yeah. be put in positions in our own lives where we're kind of in between cultures is a is valuable yes you know um i yeah i i, I think yes to to be that kenku is a, is a thing of great value <laughs> yes okay but now you, someone now will have to fact check me or, or tell me what does right. it and i am not a DD expert by any means either yeah. but yes that that you know the the crow-headed mimic character i think is yes. so cool uh yeah I, I think that's a great insight into your life experience and how it has benefited you you know yes if nothing else, you know, the, the superpower of like pooping on cars and, uh, right. you know, stealing, stealing <laughs> cheese, you know, <laughs> right. that would be fun too. Okay. So you are this Kenku monk yes. and then you're ambushed in the woods by a couple of level one goblins. Okay. What do you do? I, I have to throw down some cards. Is that what I have to do? Uh, I don't think it's cards. You would have to roll some dice. Oh, roll some dice. Um, yes. And let's say you get the numbers you guess dice. Yes. What is your, what is your uh, strategy? Mm, and goblins are not like really the the most powerful of creatures, no, right? This no. is this is henchman level kind right, of exactly, thing. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. I don't want to blow them away with my best stuff, right? right. So it's like, yeah, I, I I think this is a kind of thing where you know, as as a, a pro, you could use a lot of tools and and trickery more so uh, than say like having to uh, do anything super fancy. I think this is a kind of thing crows have really iridescent feathers. I think maybe taking my feathers somehow and sort of flinging them, making them look like coins, perhaps. Maybe these henchmen would scatter for that. After that, maybe either the theft of a crow, the ability to, to take something. I would. I think there, there's a prankster nature, I think, to the crow. Like crows have a glee in what they're doing, right? They're not just doing something to survive. They're doing something gratuitously because they have fun with it. So I think there's some sort of pranking that would happen. I don't know if crows give wedgies to goblins. <laughs> yeah, but that's our thing steal but, it steal the change purse from him i don't know a this is the most possible armin possible answer like <laughs> maybe we're gonna enjoy this and, and 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 b by far the most creative solution i have heard yet on the show everybody <laughs> else is like this is the way that i would murder them and you're like no i would deceive them with my feathers that yeah. is awesome i love i don't that. even think do i even need them to not exist in, yeah. in the same world as me or do i just need them out of my physical of, space yeah you they chase the the false coins and you're out of there i love it i love it okay speaking of chasing coins yes. we're going to go to our ad break uh that was a wonderful segue like that sounded professional um i'm, I'm really really doug is like giving you know like that was nice wasn't that that was nicely done right okay so we're gonna go to our ad break and when we come back i'm gonna ask you what you've been daydreaming about lately Sounds great. today's episode is brought to you by the all-new merch store at notapipepublishing.com of course the site has books and books and more books but we also have merch like t-shirts and hats and art prints my apologies to YouTube viewers, but podcast listeners, imagine a far more handsome t-shirt model telling you, I just got this new shirt, which shows a ghost saying, boo is Latin for I shout. Seriously, look it up. You're welcome. We have hats with the logo from Unrelenting by Jesse Hennard and Marie Parks, the logo from our Stories Within anthology, and stickers that show Justice Sotomayor saying, respectfully I dissent, with the respectfully crossed out because she chose to omit that in her response to the court's recent homophobic ruling. And there are art prints by Michaela Thorne, the artist and author of Tooth and Claw. Check out all the great merch at the store and use the code SHOWFAN for 10% off your entire order. All that's in the show notes. 
Also, we're always on the lookout for great guests and advertisers. So if you have a book or other product to sell and you're looking for a group of the most intelligent, witty, discerning readers, let us help you make that connection. Our ad rates are as low as 15 bucks and guests will never pay to be on the show. Right, Doug? We, we agreed on that. We only have guests we want to talk to. Some jerk offers us a billion dollars to be on the show. No way. Take a hike. Keep your billion, Elon. Stuff it in a pillow and hug it and cry because you're not cool enough to be on this show. Them's the breaks. You too, J.K. Rowling. Get your hateful, racist, transphobic ass out of here. You can't buy an empathetic soul with that billion dollars, and it won't get you on this show either. The rest of you, make Writers Not Writing a part of your marketing plan today. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, Armin, what have you been daydreaming about lately? Mm, you know, uh, when, when I'm not focused on work or, or things I need to do, I, I think about cooking a lot. Um, I, you know, especially like during the pandemic where it's like, I'm not going out. I realized, wow, like when, when I wasn't getting a credit card bill, I was like, oh, I spent all of that just going to restaurants or like, you know, I just I love food and I'm not even like fancy food. I just like different cuisines and I like making things. And uh, uh, my wife is vegan. So I've had to think a lot about like, how do we, uh, you know, incorporate more vegetables into our diets? Because she she doesn't necessarily love vegetables or cooking vegetables, but she doesn't want to be vegan and has been great and committed to it. So it's like, okay, what are the various ways that we can cook vegetables where I'm not cooking the exact same stir fry every single night? And man, YouTube has amazing, I love those videos where like, you don't see the person, you're just watching a pan from above, you know, point of view, and you just see this magical thing be made. And so I, I am my proudest when I can think of like, there are like seven things in the fridge that don't belong together. They're all going bad. You got like five more hours to use these things. How do you use that brown banana you know, and that spinach and make something out of that. I, I man, I, I dig that if I can make that all come together. What's the coolest thing you figured out how to make that's vegan so far? Ooh, how do we veganize different meals? You know, I, I just came back uh, uh, from the Philippines uh, uh, for a vacation and that was a very non-vegan trip for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I was not raised with a very- Veganism vegan has diet. not hit uh, there yet. Yeah, not, if you think of the classic cuisine of a lot of uh, Filipino dishes, uh, you know, it, it tend to be very uh, animal product heavy yes. in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I was just thinking through like, oh, well, there's a lot of these really cool Filipino dishes that that wouldn't be hard to turn um, vegan. And one thing is like, if, if you're just using, you know, I, I have an air fryer, man, that thing is worth it. I didn't think I'd like it for the counter space. It's worth its counter space. Yep. And that thing, you know, because you get rid of your toaster, that thing's your toaster. I don't need a toaster as well. That, you know, using that to, to fry tofu, game changer for me, because I've been oh. spending so much time trying to season locks and I watch all the videos. Uh, another podcast we could talk about how I set the kitchen on fire trying to season a walk because I was trying to skip steps <laughs> and you season a walk I think truly by uh, letting it cook you know 10,000 times versus trying to get it all done in one afternoon yeah anyway like I can't get the tofu to not stick air fryer you air fry that thing no problem and, yeah. and a healthier version too so do you have to dessert. do you season the tofu or like marinate what are you doing with the tofu before yeah i like to do like a, a dry rub on it you know or yeah. i'll do like a uh like a, a soy sauce ginger kind of blend you, you don't want tofu to sit in a marinade too long because it yeah. all it's a sponge it all it does is soak it yeah. up so yeah it's going to take it'll become so salty but you give something like 15 minutes i think i think that's plenty Chop yeah. it up, you know, and put it in, and then now that thing will have the the mouth feel, uh, the meat of things, you know. So I'll use that in a lot of like noodle soups as well as, um, uh, you know, like dried shiitake mushrooms are fantastic. Having a bunch of those around because they're so easy to rehydrate, and then the broth you make from that is now going to be part of the dish too. So it's like two ingredients uh, in one when you use a yeah. dried shiitake mushroom. So you you, you have know? you have and so it, it creates that, that mouth feel that you miss. Yeah, 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 that's I, I, uh, so I don't like, I mean, I'm trying to think of dishes that I want to like, uh, like what are like, yes, are the vegan ones, but also there are times where it's like Jenny is, you know, uh, visiting family or something. It's like, okay, this is my time to not be vegan. Uh, I still have this goal of I've never shucked an oyster and I would like to try shucking an oyster. Uh, but there's a lot of bad news right now about uh, people dying from raw oysters. And yes, being blown yes. Out of proportion. Must be done with care. <laughs> but I sort of want to see, can I shuck an oyster and, you know, put a plate of oysters out there? That would be uh, fun. 
Yes. What are yes. you going to say, man? My son found that he prefers clams to oysters. We were up in Puget Sound. Yeah. They were literally in the, you know, in the sound and we were yeah. finding them and, you know, cooking them up. That's and cool. he was like, you know, and so, yeah, clams, oysters, if that's your thing, like for me, too rubbery, not my favorite. Got it. You know, uh, Noah loves them. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, absolutely. Uh, try clams and oysters. For me, that's an excuse for a lot of butter. Like, uh, <laughs> that's, that's really, it's butter and salt. Like, yes. yeah, okay, that's what's going to make it work, you know. Yeah, it's just a vehicle uh-huh. for that. But I am excited about that idea of the dry rub on the tofu. Like that, yeah. I think, air fried. Oh, that sounds, that's simple. Sounds it'll, it'll hold it because there's enough moisture on the tofu to, to hold the seasoning on there. And then as you're frying it, then everything sort of hardens together. And so, yeah, you don't have to worry about like, people go to a lot of effort of battering things. It's like, oh, that's a lot of extra steps. Imagine yeah, just, yeah, that's, and then, and then will it hold its consistency when it's in a soup after it's been fried? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the oh. thing that if you don't want things, if you're using, you know, extra firm, you know, yeah. then then it'll have that texture of like, oh, this feels more um, uh, substantial than than a bunch of broccoli in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. Well, our next thing, uh, I always put up a, a weekly poll. And, mm. uh, so what is your idea for a question I should ask the world? Uh, what is what should be our weekly poll question as well? Man. You know, I've been seeing, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, uh, Ben. I'm not getting out there as much. Uh, and especially I'm, I'm definitely not in the dating scene. But I I, I, uh, I like going out and then like seeing people. And I'm thinking like, is that thing a first date? I'm yes. always curious about that, right? Where you're like, do they know each other? Is this going well? I love that. Um, my question that is, if which is a better first date in your opinion um doing one of those sipping wine places you know you go our uh, the the painted wine you go to these places to paint a picture but you also have red wine that you enjoy there or axe throwing i'm seeing that a lot now axe throwing which is the better first date to take someone on that's a that's a and and even which do you propose right like you know, like if you're, if you're, you know, getting ready for the first date and you're saying, uh, so I'm judging this person in advance saying, uh, they're kind of more of like an ax throwing kind of person than a yeah. paint and sip. Like that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see where people fall on that one, which is the better idea for, and you know, somebody's looking at that going, I never even would have thought of one of those. That is going to be my idea. So <laughs> You have made someone's like future relationship possible. Just there to- better be uh, a comment of someone saying, "Oh, we're getting married next year. Thank you." Yep, and yep. it's going to be an axe-themed wedding. Yep, <laughs> and we're naming our firstborn child Armin. Thanks to you, like absolutely yes. So, uh, what is in your to-read pile right now? What are you looking forward to? Oh, um, yeah, too many books. Uh, you know, uh. I, I don't vacillate, right? Sometimes there's times where it's like, I, I want to be very fully into um, poetry and make sure that I'm, I'm looking at different types of poetry to, to keep myself sharp, to keep myself knowledgeable. And then, but then I'm missing out on a lot of other stuff too. When I'm like, or if I'm just spending too much time reading just like craft books, which I love reading craft books and talking about theory of writing. But sometimes like you just got to step back and read other things. Uh, one book that I'm really excited to dig into, I hope in the next uh, month or so is... Um, People of the Sand by Rachel King. Uh, Rachel uh, King is a um, novelist, uh, short story writer, uh, and a poet. So, you know, does a little bit of everything. Um, I read her collection, Bratwurst Haven. This is an amazing short story cycle of uh, a town in Colorado where all the characters are sort of associated with a, a sausage making factory. But it's really about the politics of the area, how, how the sausage demographics, gets made. how the sausage gets made. That's very clever. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. It's about Rough. like unions and the yeah. rights of employees and, and how sometimes their decisions aren't really in their best interest and how they're just trying to survive. It's really captivating. And, and I had read the first short story on its own and I was like, oh God, I hope there's more to this. And then I found out like, oh, it's actually a collection. It's a short story collection. Not because I was like, I need to know what happens to these yeah. people. So based on that, I was like, uh, I wanted to read her novel, which uh, came out first. And People of the Sand is about, um, it's fictional, 
but it's about how Oregon, um, the, the beaches became um, uh, public use. That there yes. are pro- so coming from Jersey, that's a really odd thing, right? Like there's people so many from the other states do not un- like. Yeah, the, the, like I can sleep on the beach. Oregonians like, I'm do not understand how unusual that is. Yeah. Like you know, California, Hawaii, East Coast. All up and down the East Coast, private beach. Sorry, you can't come here. I own this beach. My house is near it, and therefore it's mine. Like the fact that all Oregon beaches are public is, we are very lucky. That is a very cool thing. But I don't, I don't, I didn't know there was a story of how that came to be. Yes. So I think, you know, from my understanding of it, I haven't dug into it yet, but I think it's really well researched as far as understanding the history of it and just using a, you know, fictionalized version of that uh yeah i just love the way she uses dialogue uh in her other uh book that i read you know i just she's really good at building out characters so i think this one's going to be fun but every time i hear the title i think of uh people of the sun by rage against the machine as opposed to people yes. of sand so like yeah song gets stuck in my head but thankfully i like the song so well <laughs> i am uh, excited to check that out the fact that you mentioned that she's a poet as well like one of the things i find is novelists who are poets I like their books better because you can tell they are thinking about the words in each sentence. Uh, you know, Margaret Atwood, I think Margaret Atwood, if you asked her, like, you know, if, if you could like, you know, get her to be really honest, she would say, I, I, I really think of myself more as a poet than as a, a novelist. Yeah. My books are what's so big, but she is a fantastic poet. And I think that's why her novels are so good. Because she is thinking about, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll read a paragraph and go, Oh, that was a prose poem. Like, you know, and exactly. so, yeah, so Rachel King, I will check. I, King. What was the other one? Bratwurst Factory? Was that what it was called? Bratwurst Haven. H-A-V-E-N. Okay. Bratwurst Haven. Which one? I think those in the, I think that the won the uh, Colorado Book Award this last year. Okay. So that really sounds cool book. fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will. I'll, I'll put links to those in the show notes and I'll add right. that to my TBR pile too. That's excellent. Awesome. So um, where can folks find you when they're looking for you online? Uh, you know, the, the drying carcass of, of Twitter, I think I still have, <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a point where it's like, I think I'm just going to stop looking, you know, but yeah. you know, I'm serving the habit to check that one out. So you can find me though, there at, uh, at Armin Tolentino. And then, uh, I just started one of those blue skies, but I don't, I didn't download the app on my phone. I'm realizing like, well, what, so for one thing, I'm not a big social media person and I'm realizing like, oh, I just. I just don't have that much interest in looking at it. I like looking, like I personally don't have much interest in posting. I do like sharing when like something cool's happening. Like there's events, I like sharing that, but it's like, I don't really have this burning desire to spend time looking at this stuff, but Twitter was built at the time in such a way that it was so easy to consume things yeah. and such a variety of things, right? So I could follow boxing. I could see how the Knicks are yes. doing. And then I could learn all about writing at the exact same time and see animal videos. You know, it's just, it was really cool that way. And I don't know if Blue Skies is going to be the same way, but I guess we all have a responsibility that if we want to build a new virtual world, <laughs> we have to pick trick. up our shovels. Like that's the trick. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about, I, I had in interaction with people on Twitter that I never, you know, uh, Roxanne Gay, like yeah. responded to one of my, you know, and it was just like three words, but it doesn't matter. I was like, yes. oh my gosh, Roxanne Gay just you know, responded to me like in a yeah. way that, you know, never would have been possible. And that was so cool. But it's, it's where the people are. Like, you know, I I would love to get away from uh, Twitter and I largely did get away from Facebook because they became so toxic and gross. And at the same time, for the sake of, you know, promoting writing, I've got to be on them to go, hey, you know, please do check out, you know, this great novel by Karen Eisenbray or whatever. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, that that yeah, I am interested to see if Blue Sky gets enough people. Yes. The place where the people are. And also gets to, you know, have that healthy interaction. Yeah. But, Um, you know, it's a, it's not really for some people, social media, it's not like a choice, like it really for livelihood, it's necessary, you know, and, and to support other writers, that's a really critical thing. So, you know, I don't take it lightly that people are willing to do, you know, sort of trudge through some of the stuff that isn't always pleasant to trudge through. (laughs) So uh, who else should I get on the show? Who's somebody you would recommend having on the show as a guest? Um, uh, have you met Stephanie Adam Santos? I don't uh, think so. Oh man, and I, I I should be more prepared as far as uh remembering what her latest collection is, but it just came out. So she's a poet, but also a screenplay writer. Um, and I think uh also like uh sort of uh, just a 
a really spiritual, mystical person mm. in a lot of ways. She's just really quite brilliant and um, a real community builder. Um, but her latest collection was selected by uh, Jericho Brown. Uh, so, you know, hey, it's it's getting vouched by for some really amazing people. And uh, this latest collection uh, uh, really focuses on some Latin American mythology. And it, it just is, uh, I haven't gotten to dig into that one. So that's also on the to read pile, but uh, just some fascinating uh, dreams of Zabalba, I think it's called. Um, but she's just uh, an incredibly fascinating person. So talking to her about making movies, but also poetry and spirituality, I think, uh, you're not gonna be bored talking to her <laughs> no no she sounds fascinating yeah i will i will reach out see if she'd be willing that'd be great um okay so before we uh finish up the show i've got to thank some folks uh thanks to the artist max oakland who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song i prefer the dusk let max know you like it by following him on twitter at max oakland with three d's and thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email that to me. Thanks to Doug, the producer, as always, for making the show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. And I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Notapie Publishing. So please go to notapiepublishing.com. Check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. Uh, if you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Please check out Armin's We Meant to Bring It Home Alive. Tell a friend about it. I mean, you will tell a friend about it. It's so good. But please get yourself a copy um, and then give it a review. Don't skip that last step. Uh, even a short review and that single click on that fifth star makes a huge difference to authors. So if you've got three minutes, make Armin's Day. Uh, and I'm too old to tell you to smash that like button for this show. But if you could tap it an odd number of times that would be really helpful um so uh armin let's give some folks some advice for this next week what's a piece of advice you would want to give people as they're going into their week uh remember coffee cannot replace sleep yeah that's uh, important uh i would also say a book without spaces would be gibberish and our lives need spaces too so don't ignore the spaces and third no matter how much you procrastinate we're still proud of you My time.